because I will get long-winded on some some astronomical stuff, and uh, but we're going to cover some interesting concepts. The name of today's message is called Pursuit of the Ancients. Um, we'll cover a little bit about what's called the gap theory, and the gap theory is uh, it's a real hard concept because it covers a period of time and a space of time not like anything that we see because it's it falls right into the very beginning of the Bible. And before we even get started, it's like, okay, what happened here? We're asking questions. So we're going to go into Job chapter 38, verse 7. And when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Well, stars is going to be another indication of <coughs> angels and or fallen angels. Because when we reference out of Revelations 13 or Revelations 14, we're going to see where the dragon drew a third of the stars. And also, whenever we sit down and we look at the dragon, a dragon has feet. Well, remember when God placed the curse upon the serpent? Nah. The curse on the serpent, it talks about you will go on your belly all the days of your life and eat the dust of the earth. So if you could probably imagine that maybe a serpent at one point was a dragon that we know nowadays, we don't see dragons. So, you know, so, I mean, there's another connection, but I'm not saying it's a solid connection. We just keeping our minds open and going with it from there. Um, this is perhaps the only scripture which speaks of the heavenly orchestra most likely being attended and perhaps led by Lucifer uh, in this particular time frame because there is no war. There is no, um, you know, this is at the very, very beginning of creation, but it actually precedes what we know as creation because when we jump into everything, we jump into it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 seems to already have had a history proceeding before it. It already there's some things that have happened that we don't we don't see it. And we'll we'll cover that in a second. But scripture indicates that his instruments were created in him the day that he was made. The next time we see him based the next time we come across Lucifer, uh, he's already fallen and one third of the angels with him. Last week, we looked at giants and demons and we tried to track down a little bit about the origin of the giants and a little bit about the origin of demons. And we find that the reason why they believe that giants and demons are connected is from the Rephaim or the Hebrew term Rapha, which we won't go over that because we're still going to we're going to move forward. But we can. Uh, <coughs> yes, ma'am. With 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 the flood. And today we're going to actually look at remember how when we were kids, we talk about how one side is like, OK, well, God destroyed the earth with a flood and you've got evidence. Every major civilization across the world talks about a great flood, whether it's China, whether it's Middle East, whether it's North, uh, you know, American Indians, uh, North and South America. All of our cultures have had a history of a flood. Mm -hmm. But why is it in science? Whenever you look at science, it talk about the dinosaurs and it talks about the dinosaurs. It says the dinosaurs, if I can stop talking so fast, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> But it says that dinosaurs were destroyed by a meteor, right? Well, we're going to lead into scripture that actually supports both. We're going to lead into the scripture and talks about the days of Noah. And we're going to lead into scripture that's going to look a little bit into the support of that particular thing. Because we're like, okay, well, that couldn't have happened. But how do you explain away for real big, huge, giant calcium deposits in the form of dinosaur bones? You know, so we know that they existed. We know they're real. But we're going to sit down and say that God already talked about it before. 
He already explained it before. And what if the flood wasn't the first destruction? So we'll go ahead and go into it. And I know, Lord Jesus, hopefully I get out of here alive today. <laughs> um, first Kings chapter 18 and 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. That's an uncomfortable feeling. I thought I was uncomfortable a second ago, but I, I understand what Elijah, because nobody said nothing. So it's like, okay, you know, I understand when he prayed, why he prayed what he prayed, because he could have been stoned if he could have been killed. His life was on the line if God decided, okay, well, you know, I'm done with Israel and I'm, I'm walking away from it. And if God would not have intervened, then it would have cost Elijah his life. Um, we can trace certain deities from Rome to Greece and from Italy, uh, from Egypt to Babylon. Um, for the sake of time, we'll give a condensed version of the ten plagues of Egypt, which uh, most of us already know. But we know that their de their deities translate over into demon types, fallen angels, and just like we talked a little bit about, you know, with satan's temptation with eve the temptation is centered and based around information and it's centered because of knowledge of good and evil and it's centered and based around the fact that this information can make you a god that's what he's selling that's his whole pitch that's his whole scheme so let's assume for a second that you're part of the angelic host you're minding your own business you're basically praising and worshiping god you know you're in a whole different dimension and then all of a sudden lucifer comes up that's going to probably be the sales pitch hey look you know if you follow me in the rebellion we can become gods instead of angels serving and worshiping and basically attending to snot-nosed man on earth and you know we're shackled and chained to them but why should we sit down and serve them when they should be serving us so whenever you sit down and you look at the idea, you look at the premise behind it, then we're starting to try to understand, trying to get a grasp on it. Um, number one, Happy is an Egyptian god of the Nile, and that's where the water was turning into blood. Number two, Heket, Egyptian goddess of fertility, frogs. It's crazy. She's just showing up all over the place. <laughs> uh, Geb is the god of the earth, Egyptian god of the earth. That. It's where the plague of lice came in. Kepri, movement of the sun and its rebirth. And that's where the flies came in. Uh, Hathor, love and protection. And it was the death of the cattle. And one of the things is, is that we got to understand that these people with their methodology um, were like, okay, well, Capri, the movement of the sun, why would flies interfere with that? But the thing is, is that if we go back into Egyptian culture, we can see how they draw a connection between if flies come, then this, you know, this particular fallen deity, Capri, may be mad at us. He may be upset with us. But what God is showing them is, is that he doesn't control anything. He doesn't control the show. I do. And whenever I send flies, I send flies and I make them last as long as I want to. And whenever we sit down and we look at the prophets and the priests, those false priests and those false prophets in Egypt, that they're like, OK, well, we're going to pray to them. And if you guys offer this offering or offer the sacrifice in submission to this particular fallen deity, he will stop. But what God is saying is, no, he can't stop it because he's not the one controlling it. And with that, we, we look at the bigger picture and we see their deception, we're seeing through their deception and uncovering it. Um, ISIS, medicine and peace, that's where they had boils and sores. 
Nut, Egyptian goddess of the sky. That's where the hail and the fire came. Seth, storms and disorder. That's where the locusts came. Ra is the sun god, and then God placed darkness over Egypt. And Pharaoh himself, in the end, is considered to be a god. Um, if you look at this, here is another piece of information that requires a, a deep study. But we see that the United States of America has a lot of Egyptian symbology in it. And if you go back to the way the president was inaugurated, whenever he comes out of a certain building and he faces the obelisk, which is in Washington, D.C., when he faces that, that's also the same type of inaugural practice for the pharaoh. Whenever we sit down and we see that he basically it talks about rebirth, he comes out of the womb, out of the particular building. I don't know if it's the Washington Monument or whatever, but you will always see an obelisk, a long pillar-like structure right next to a round dome-like structure. The dome-like structure is supposed to be a baby or a pregnant stomach, and the obelisk is supposed to be a man's junk. Sorry, but that's just what it is. And in Egypt, that's what they feel symbolizes their worship to these deities. And one of the things that we go back into again, we just talked about genetics. But if we really, really, really look at it, sexuality deals with genetics and genetics deals with rebirth. Rebirth deals with all of these different things. And when we see that, we we wonder, OK, why is it that they practice these practices so strong? Because if we don't draw the connection. It doesn't make sense to us. Us. But what if it actually is to contaminate man to such a level that would allow demonic possession? We see what Jesus said is he says that when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he looks for rest in desolate places. And having found none, he'll go back to the house that he came. And having found it swept and garnished, he says, OK, well, I'll return to the house that I came from. What if that swept and garnished part? What if it's not only spiritually that the person is cleaning themselves up but what if also it is genetically what a, what about smoking we sit down and we talk about okay well smoking you know um, there's no actual scripture I did a study on smoking there's no actual scripture on smoking but the study was it listed anytime smoke was mentioned smoke was mentioned with offering up a sacrifice now offering up a sacrifice is for the remission of sins so if the remissions of sins is being offered up but you are still sitting here smoking. It talks about the smoke of their furnace ascending into heaven. So what if smoking is a symbology of being unrepentant, but I'm offering up a sacrifice, but it doesn't mean anything. And I am basically putting that in God's face, offering it up. What if it has a whole different meaning to God than it does to us? So but when smoking it is, smoking destroys the body and we are our body is the temple of God. So if anything that's destroyed our body mm -hmm. is the temple that right. we're not supposed to do. I agree. But what do you do in temples? You offer sacrifices. Mm -hmm. That yeah. sacrifice is smoke. So with that and then what we found is what happens when you smoke too much? You catch cancer. When you catch cancer, what is cancer? It's called a neoplast. A neoplast is a genetic mutation. So that, to me, is another type of direct connection between genetics, the satanic kingdom, and we're you know just going back to that same idea. Um, so we, we're going back to the uh, ten plagues. These plagues also return in the book of Revelations, possibly due to the return of these deities. Substitute gods having major influence over the population in the last days. So uh, to get the concept of what might be going on, we go to, we're going to reference two more verses 
And according to one authority, including the Apostle Paul, there are no gods that are gods that are made with hands. Now, in our culture, we may not we not we may not have a big argument about it because we don't worship Vishnu. We don't worship Buddha, you know, not on a large scale as far as Americans do. Uh, now, our subcultures, um, you know, they have practices that they've carried over. But, you know, whenever we sit down and we go to other countries, then we're going to see it more in the open and everything like that. We're going to go to Revelations chapter 12 and verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them down to the earth. And I didn't go too much above or too much below that. But we go into Genesis chapter 3 and 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So we're looking at that sales pitch, and that's what we were talking about earlier. Uh, that's possibly one of the things, one of the reasons why you see all these little g-gods is they're actually fallen angels. Uh, and the way that he got them to fall is to offer them deity ship, to offer them, you don't have to do it God's way, you can do it my way and still become a deity, still become a god. Uh, amazingly enough, in Job... This may have been the only verse where Lucifer was painted in a good picture before the fall. When we pick up in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4, we begin in a perfect world, but we also see that Lucifer has already fallen in this particular thing. To gain insight into this, we have to consider exploring a term called ages past. And the only reason why I mentioned ages past is because if you're going to look into it, you want to try to know more about it. You may be able to pull up more information that may explain it in a little better way. Um, but hopefully uh, this study will make sense. Uh, when we go into the very beginning of the Bible, we arrive at Genesis chapter one, verse one. It talks about in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So to give an overview, we have to understand that God is a creator. He is always building. He is always creating. He is always constructing. God hasn't stopped all the way up until now. God still continues to create, still continues to build. If we can sit down and look at ourselves as a white canvas, God is the author and the finisher of our faith. With that, we got to understand that God allows certain things to come into our life. And most of the other stuff, God shields. He blocks it. It does not come into our life. But he allows, let's assume for a second that if God wants to allow the color blue or the color red to come into your life, he allows that color. And then from there, he's going to put some shades of yellow and some shades of brown. And that may be a picture of a sun or it may be the picture of the earth or it may be a picture of a structure. Or something like that. But we see that whenever we are the actual canvas, whatever we go through builds our faith in him. And our faith could actually take on in another dimension the form of a picture. Remember what it talks about in certain scriptures. It talks about let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. We talked also about that you will be clothed with your works. So if you're going to be clothed with your works and we go into Isaiah, I want to say chapter 26, where it talks about neither shall they be clothed with their works for their works are violence. Their works are wickedness. So with that. We know that whenever God does certain things, he allows these things to come into our life. He is painting a picture on us to help strengthen us and to say what it is and to yield the picture that he wants us to yield. Um, 
to give an overview, we understand that God is a creator and he's always constructing. Um, so the stars look bleak. So the start of it may look bleak. It may look like, you know, it doesn't mean anything. But to him, he knows exactly what it is that he's doing. We go from weakness to strength. We go from rough to finely polished. We go from fragile to strong. The concept basically can be seen as far as whenever he first said, let there be light. There was darkness, but God is a God of light. So we understand that he spoke this into existence. He spoke this into creation. When we look at our own life, we sit down and we see that we're innocent. We're a child. We're a baby. But we go in, grow up into being stronger. We learn how to walk. Now, sometimes we fall. Sometimes we sit down and say, okay, well, we don't want to serve God at this particular point. But the things that he allows us to go through turns us back to him. And that's where we become stronger. Uh, God spoke light in the creation, which means that the darkness would have been first. Or was it? We got to refer to the Hebrew term tohu wabohu or tohu vabohu. Uh, this is described between day one and day two. Now, with what we just read, as far as the earth was without form and void, whenever you look at tohu vabohu, I want to say they call that a transient verb. Uh, talks about that, and I haven't. I kind of broke from the notes real fast, but they feel that there was a period of time in between Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 that if the earth was without form and void, it translated into it became without form and it became darkness. So if it became darkness, they had to take some time in order to transition, whether it was instantly or whether it was, you know, over a course of time. Uh, in the Westminster Leningrad Codex, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's going to be a new international version. Um, the word tohu vabohu also occurred in Isaiah chapter 34 and 11. It's translated to mean confusion and emptiness. Tohim, it talks about the deep or the abyss. So in creation myths, the primordial waters are often represented as originally having filled the entire universe, being the first source of the gods of the cosmos with the act of creation. So we're going to see that they've actually deployed this in other cultures where they're like, okay, well, these fall, fallen angels, fallen deities said that they actually created it. And if they actually created it, then that's one of the things. But if I can get us to open up, if God created it perfect and the darkness actually came across the actual face of the deep, that requires a type of action in order for it to actually come across. So whenever we sit down and we look at a child, a child is innocent. A child, if they die, possibly goes to heaven. More than likely they do because they don't have anything. But then once they reach that age of accountability, then it's like children do everything wrong that they could possibly do wrong. So to me, whenever you look at the basic human, we can see, OK, well, if this particular idea about creation is true, then it could very well lend to just basically repeat what we see with our, our individual selves. So going from that, uh, some of the text describes the darkness to being an evil presence. So it started good and then eventually it became evil, which may have filled the space, you know, in a space of time. Of course, creation myths, the gods would try to say that creation was brought about 
by them and not God. But we also understand that that's why whenever you look at any scripture, whether it be out of Isaiah or anything, it says that I am God and my glory will I not give to another. Neither will I give my honor to idols. So that's why God is simply repeating that. He's saying that because he sees what they're trying to do. They're trying to ascribe creation to themselves and not have creation be ascribed to God. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 4 and 23. I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void and the heavens and the heavens and they had no light. I beheld the mountains and lo, they trembled. Now, Jeremiah's wording is a little different than what we've seen in Genesis. And all the hills moved lightly, and I beheld, and lo, there was no man. And all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. For thus hath the Lord said, The whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. For this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black because I have spoken it. I have purposed it and I will not repent. Neither will I turn back from it. So that's a definite, definite, direct, you know, quote from God. And with that, we're like, OK, well, what possibly could have happened? What is it? Because we go back to the flood, but we never see where this particular scripture supports the fact that there may have been civilizations before that and that God wiped it out. So, I mean, we can't deny the scripture. And or it talks about that there was no man. Um, one time I, when I was reading Genesis, I just, when I was reading Genesis, and after he created the, uh, after he had put uh, Adam and Eve out, mm -hmm. and it say Cain had his wife, I assumed that it had other people in, on the earth because where, where, where would he get a wife from? Right. So I assumed that. He already had, he just created the, the garden mm -hmm. for, for the, but anyway, I, I think they did have a, uh, another civilization another that was already in place. And I've heard certain things said about that where they talk about genetics and they talk about once sin entered into the earth, um, that's, it's an argument that they say, okay, well, once sin entered into the earth, genetic modifications, genetic mutations start to happen, which include us going from 900 years, going down to 120 years, and then later even going down further to 70 years. Mm -hmm. So with that, that's a study that it's a muddy, real muddy. It's hard to see through it, but that is a valid point. And I'm, you know, my thing is, is that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So he's not going to condone incest regardless because they say, OK, well, there are sons and daughters born to Adam and Eve and or. But whenever you sit down, because my idea, my thing is, is that it was perhaps, you know, God may have created my argument would be. And he created them male and female, male and female created he them and called their name Adam. So to me, was that just Adam and Eve, the term them? Or did that mean that he created different sets? You know, so that opens up a whole different can of worms too, that if he created different sets and they had sons and daughters, then it would not be an inbreeding conflict. It would not be anything like that because, you know, and to me that concept also explains why they had to be kicked out in order to keep separate from the people who were not, you know, who had not fallen. So, you know, um, 
but I, 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 I can't explain a lot of the scripture behind that. So, you know, that's a different study for a later time frame. But we do see that in Isaiah, it talks about the, the account of the creation, the beginning of creation. And it seems to lend more information. It gives a little bit more information. And at the end of this, we're going to go into Psalms chapter 18, verses 13 and 14, which is going to give us some more information. And we do feel and understand that David was a prophet, too. Um, so the only question that anyone could ask is, when did this historical event take place? Um uh, in high school, we would argue creation versus evolution. And one side, you would have someone saying that the earth was destroyed by a flood. And on the other side, a meteor. Well, when we go into the Triassic dinosaur area, uh, what if both of them are actually correct? Um, it states that there was no man, yet it mentions birds. We keep in mind unclean spirits have always biblically been referred to as birds. But we also see that that may have also been a literal um, literal account, too. Uh, if this was Satan's time to reign, then there would, you know, they would be extinct right now. We talk about the dumb beast. This is just a thought process. But what if God did this for a reason where it's not necessarily talking about dumb beasts, but beasts that just simply can't speak? When we go into numbers, we see that with numbers, the donkey was able to speak. And he was able to tell Balak about the angel. And then all of a sudden, God opens Balak's eyes and he saw that there was an angel there. So we see that animals have a certain thought process. And if they could communicate, they could speak and tell us things that we don't know, which was simple, you know, certainly the case with Balaam and Balak. Um, so we talk about the meaning about the term of the mark of the beast. Was this particular time frame was a time frame where Satan may have ruled and the only thing that was created because we do know that beasts were created before man was. We also look at the dinosaurs and we know that dinosaurs were reptilian. We go back to Genesis and it talks about the seed of the woman and then it talks about the seed of the serpent. So what if during that particular time frame we see that whenever the children of Israel were in Egypt, you've got the Canaanites are building up. And then once they came out, Joshua had to pretty much with the children of Israel fight all these guys in order to fight to get to an inheritance. Well, what if that wasn't the first time that Satan had laid that same type of minefield? What if that same game was being played back by the dinosaurs and saying, OK, well, you know, if man ever comes up, the dinosaurs will just keep wiping them out. You know, there's going to be food, you know, so that makes perfect sense that. You know, that was possibly what could have been. And we see that most dinosaurs were reptilian. So it talks about the seed of the serpent. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, um, most of the dinosaurs had legs. You know, maybe the curse that God had placed on the serpent, maybe it could have been something that actually take time and actually wind up going over a course of time. So we'll just open up the scripture and say, okay, well, we won't count it out. Isaiah chapter 14 and 20, thou shalt not be joined with them in burial because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. So when we look at this through the lens of science, we see that it usually proves the Bible right. Uh, whenever I went through Google, this is what it talked about when I said, okay, well, how did the dinosaurs die? This is real interesting. The crustaceous paleon paleogene extinction event which occurred approximately 66 million years ago at the end of the create the crustaceous period caused the extinction of all dinosaur groups except 
the Neornanite or the Neo Neornithine birds. Well, that's funny because it talks about all the birds that fled away out of Isaiah. So, you know, God bless. To me, this just simply, once again, repeats the Bible. It's repeating the Bible. It's going to be, you know, repetitive. Uh, we'll take a look at Psalms 18, verses 13 through 15. And he made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered from the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. So that's going to be also a direct reference that we feel to the same, the same time frame. But... It's not the only time frame that God has rained down hailstones. It's not the only time that God has rained down meteors. We see Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and this whole theory is called the gap theory. And I don't know if I did a sloppy job with trying to break this down or actually just introduce it to, you know, because this is one of the theories that will make a lot of people lose whatever Holy Ghost they got. <laughs> because it's some hard stuff. But whenever you look at the Hebrew term tohu vabohu, that's what opens the door to this whole theory is that there were some things that happened that can't be explained that happened before the flood. And whenever we sit down and we look at meteors, we're going to Joshua chapter 10 and 11. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down of Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them and unto Azekah, and they died. And there were more that died from the hailstones than whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. So this is another good example of a meteor shower. We understand that um, we look at science and we sit down and say, oh, well, you know, they couldn't have possibly had a meteor shower. Well, that's exactly what this was. Whenever we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, that's what happened. When we look at other time frames, you know, it talked about God raining down hail and fire and brimstone. When we, even when we look at Egypt, you know, we know that it, God rained down fire and ice on Egypt. So, and that's something that could not possibly have happened unless you have such a, a drastic change in atmospheric condition, like one minute the sun is shining. It takes minute for a storm to actually roll in. You're going to see it coming. But with God, it happens instantly. And with God, that's why, you know, it's so impossible for a lot of these miracles to actually happen that you know that it's him. People can sit down and say, oh, well, maybe there was a water spout that built up and it put the frogs, it picked the frogs up from the Nile River and spit them out into Egypt. How do you have these things happen right at the same time Moses says they're going to happen? How do you have these things happen? Let's assume for a second that we say, okay, you know, let's look at meteors again. Now, what would happen on the same time, every time during the evening sacrifice, the children of Israel, we talked about the temple, and they have the lamb. It's the evening sacrifice every time. I think it was approximately six o'clock in the evening. And what would happen? One single meteor. One meteor would fall down and happen to be right there at that same place at that same time. And it would consume the burnt sacrifice. It would consume the offering. And it was a savor to God because the children of Israel needed remission from sins. And it talks about that the fire fell from heaven. It, it did it with Solomon's time frame. It did it with Moses's time frame. And it was one single hailstone that always 
on the same time every time, every day. Always falls from heaven. Come on. You know, we talk about Nadab and Abihu. It talked about that they offered up strange fire before God and the fire fell from heaven. So people try to sit down and explain these things away, but there is no logical. You got to be insane to say that this is not deliberately done by God. You, I mean, you smoking banana peels. Right. You know, it would have seemed that if this was some sort of. Uh, you know, cosmic anomaly that it would have covered a, a large area, it would have, you know, torn up the houses and stuff like that. And it, I don't know. So whenever we sit down and we look at going from darkness into the light, we think of weakness to strength and we consider an infant going into adulthood. At the end of our lives, we understand that this is simply a transition from weakness to strength. In the Bible, you will never see. And this closing thought is one that I'll try to explain a little bit more in depth. Whenever you see Moses, Moses deceased. Whenever you see Samuel, Samuel deceased. Whenever you look at Elijah, Elijah died. Whenever you look at Elijah or any prophet, any priest, anybody that was mentioned in the Bible, you never see them returning and contending with fallen angels. All of these deities that call themselves gods, they only fight other angels. And the curiosity with that would be, why is that? Because we like, okay, well, God, we're going to come down and fight the big guy. We're going to fight. No, the truth of the matter is, is that when you die and when you transition from this life into the next life, you become something so powerful in him. You become something that's not even on the same playing field. It's not even on the same level. So what it is that Satan is trying to sell people now and what it is that he tried to sell the one third of the fallen angels at this particular point is that you shall become gods. The truth of the matter is, is that it's grossly understated that they won't even compete on the same level. You only find angels fighting fallen angels. You never see where Moses came back and fought with Satan. No, you never see that. You never see where Samuel or David or Elijah or anybody, you never see the apostle Paul, all of a sudden he's duking it out with Balrog. Or he's duking it out with the Prince of Per. No, no, no. It never. So that's why we sit down and try to dig into studies like this to keep in perspective that what it is that God is taking us into is far beautiful. It's way more in depth. It is way more powerful than what we could comprehend and what we perceive. Um, we look at Hebrews chapter 12 and 1. Wherefore, seeing that we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that which so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So when we sit down and we understand this, in the daytime, we look at the sky and we sit down and we look and see, okay, well, we've got the clouds, we've got the birds and everything like that. At nighttime, when it seems to be the dark, is actually when you can see the farthest because you see the stars. During the daytime, you can't see the stars. And we got to understand that whenever we, time, the times look like it's our it's darkest is what God is doing the most. It's where God allows us to grow and excel the most. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and probably end the recording so I don't say something crazy. And <laughs> <coughs> Oh, praise God.